Sunday Groove on Lillo Podcasting Network. I'm your host, David Sunday. Thanks for listening, and let's welcome back my friend, producer, engineer, and frequent guest, Andy Helene. How are you doing tonight, man? Hey, man. Thanks for having me back. I'm doing pretty good. How are good, you? Good, good. I'm good. Eager to talk about the topic, although it's weird to be eager to talk about a topic uh, that involves death, but when it involves you know a band and a musician that I love, I guess you could consider it bittersweet. Tonight, we're going to talk about Taylor Hawkins from the Foo Fighters. He passed a little over a month ago now, isn't it? Like it was, I think, late March. Yeah. And so ever since then, I was just trying to figure out what I wanted to do because I knew I wanted to honor his legacy and do something related to him. But I didn't want to do just another basic uh, Foo Fighters episode because I've already done two Foo Fighters episodes. <laughs> well, three if you count. We reviewed Medicine at Midnight. But anyway... You know, we're going to talk about Taylor Hawkins tonight. Very shocking death. Uh, very sad just thing. He was 50 years old, and it's just crazy for him to be gone so quickly. Yeah, really, it is pretty sad because you kind of realize how close Dave Grohl and, like, Taylor were. They were like brothers. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I, I was looking at stuff, and with Taylor joining in 97, they were together 25 years. If it wasn't or really close to it, so I can only imagine... Yeah, because, yeah, like what you just said, he was 50 and he joined the band, he was 25. That's like half his life. So, mm -hmm. yeah, that's crazy. I've only yeah. had like, the same job now for five years, and that's like 25 years. So, yeah, I mean, geez, you do have a right. connection with someone. Well, and especially like you know, a connection of like I never toured uh, as a musician other than like just a couple like hour away shows briefly back in college. But like I remember how much – in high school with a marching band, how much I bonded with the drummers in our drum line. And that was just like six years together on a much smaller scale, you know, playing like 15 times a year or whatever, as opposed to, you know, playing probably 200 shows a year on tour in years anyway. Like that's just a lot of time together in a band. Yeah. Or actually I just mentioned a job, but yeah, like I just see my coworkers, you know, 40 hours a week and I clock out and I go home. But I'm not actually living with them, whereas, like, you know, when you're in a band and you're people on the road, you're living with them. Oh, yeah. So, Especially in the early days because they did the typical go out in a van, even though technically Dave could have paid for a, a bus or something. He wanted to, you know, just have them bond like a regular band. So they got a van. The only difference was they brought a brand new van instead of a used one that most people probably would do. Did you see where he bought that van back a year and a half ago or so? Oh, no, I didn't. But you just reminded me, yeah, they were actually going to – I think the pandemic canceled that, but they were going to try to do like a van tour thing again or, mm -hmm. or at least play those same cities that they did. Yeah, I think they were just going to have the van on display. But, yeah, they were going to play the same cities that they had done on the van tour but on a much larger scale this time. But he did end up using it and touring – not touring in it, but driving it around as promotions for his documentary, What Drives Us. Oh, cool. 
But yeah, it was like a 1994 or 95 Dodge Ram van, and it was in horrible shape uh, by the time he rebought it because it <laughs> they toured it like crazy. And then who knows who all bands had used it since then, but he wanted it for nostalgia reasons, wanted to buy it back, so he got it back. <laughs> so uh, yeah, anyway, I, I always like with bands I love, it's always horrible when someone dies from the band. But with the Foo Fighters, like, I guess you could say they're my favorite band. It's hard-pressed between Alter Bridge, Metallica, and Foo Fighters. Like, those are three bands that I can tell you most everything about off the top of my head. Like, I just really get into everything they do, pretty much. But Foo Fighters might be a, maybe not a bigger deal, but maybe the closest to Metallica as far as that, because it's the length of time I've been into them. What year did you get into Foo Fighters? Oh, man, probably, I want to say... Some point in like late junior high or like freshman year. I don't know. I was trying to even think back to this, but I remember getting uh, the color and the shape on CD, mm-hmm. uh, but it was probably closer to the time like that the following album came out. Like there's nothing left to lose. So I was probably like an album um, behind. But, okay. Yeah. So it's probably like 98, something like that, 99. In my memory, I was putting myself in eighth grade, but. Uh, when I did the math, I'm like, nope, it was technically fall of 99 was when uh, There's Nothing Left to Lose when it came out. And I had just completely missed the first two Foo Fighters albums. So, But I heard Learn to Fly on the radio and saw the music video and like immediately went out and bought the album. So I guess that puts me at like 23 years of listening to them a lot. It's like There's Nothing Left to Lose. I listened to a ton. And then like every album after that I got. You know, like immediately when it came out, uh, and I was following the lead up to every album that would come out, getting all the magazines, all that kind of stuff back when <laughs> magazines were a bigger deal, you know, <laughs> back before the internet was everywhere. Yeah, it seemed to be like, like with me, I think you asked when I kind of got into them or they're on my radar, but I think I really, really, really got into them, um, with one by one. And it was probably just from being like, you know, a little bit older. And being in college and having more money and like a car and going to the uh, CD store and buying stuff, mm-hmm. it was, I guess that was the period where I was actually getting more into bands then because I had more access to CDs rather than, you know, just going like on a trip to the mall or something like that with my mom or whoever driving. Oh, yeah. My early CD days or mostly whatever I could get at Walmart um, and then occasionally trips to the mall. But those stores were so ridiculously high priced that I tried to stick to Walmart. And I will say that's been always a great thing about Foo Fighters was the fact that even though there was cursing on the records and never had parent advisories on them. So, you, you know, it wasn't hard to get a hold of uh, them at Walmart. And it wasn't the annoying edited versions. <laughs> so, yeah, anyway, uh, I don't know how I missed the color and the shape. I do know how I missed their self-titled album because I just I was into music, but not as much at that time. And I don't think I was listening to rock radio as much as I was my cassettes that I owned, such as Queen and a few other things. But yeah, so I felt like really big into the Foo Fighters. And like I said, I would get the albums, of course, flip through the booklet, you know, read everything I could about them, get all the magazines leading up to, you know, the guitar magazines and everything. And um, so just was a huge fan. And then, of course, in the 2000s, as I got access to Internet, then I would consume everything I could of theirs and even uh, found a way to get all their, um, like, Japanese releases and everything, all their... Oh, like um, a compilation? Yeah, a compilation. Thank you. 
And so we, uh, so I finally got to listen to a, pretty much all their covers and demos and all that kind of stuff, which was a lot of fun because back in those days, unfortunately, to get a lot of that stuff, you had to get like the Japanese releases or something to get all the extra tracks. Um, I um, probably would say I think Foo Fighters probably is your favorite band. Just from talking to me? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, just from doing this podcast and like guessing with you, like we did a Metallica series, but I think it's like when we're talking like off air, I guess, I don't know if people listening realize this, but like we text a lot like off air (laughs) and it seems like a bulk of it is like Foo Fighters. So yeah, I guess it probably just occurred to me now that I probably would like say Foo Fighters if I was to like think of who I would associate most with David Sunday, it would be Foo Fighters. Yeah. And it makes, uh, yeah, because I remember... We must have talked about them even early on when we started communicating about music because I remember sending you a silly Foo Fighters birthday wish thing one year. It was just a stupid, I guess, a gif or whatever, but or a meme. No, it was a meme. But yeah, I'm, I'm huge into them. And so by default, like I always just thought, of course, that Dave Grohl was the coolest, but I also thought Taylor Hawkins was the coolest because he just seemed to have such an, an amazing personality. Uh, he was always smiling and goofing off. But then also you'd see him in some interviews where he was just super awkward. And I can definitely relate to the super awkward thing. Um, but it was just really fun just seeing them goof off together. And then, of course, not even to mention the music videos. Um, like uh, just seeing them getting all the different costumes and stuff for Everlong and for Learn to Fly. It was just hilarious seeing them, especially when they'd even push the limit and get in drag and stuff. They just had a lot of fun. So I just always thought they were a fun band. And then just the drumming that Taylor does is probably my favorite drumming, at least of any modern band. Like it's just, what were you going to say? I was going to say, Oh, cool. Oh, yeah. Like it's just (laughs) uh, one of those things uh, that like, I just love his dogs. It's so energetic. He does a lot of drum fills he doesn't overly do double bass drum work, which I think can be really cool and artistic. But at the same point, some bands overdo that. Uh, and I don't know. So I just always thought that his was like some of my favorite drumming style. So that adds a lot to it. Anyway, uh, do you have anything else to say about as far as like a lead into the topic? I think the coolest is Pat Smear. <laughs> <laughs> he just always seems like, yeah, he's always so smiley. Right. Or actually going along with what you were saying, too, is how Dave and Taylor, they're always goofing off. And, you know, they seem to be so, like, energetic and stuff that Nate and Chris probably have to be the biggest sports just to go along with all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Oh, I know something to, to mention on here that, I don't know, did you ever see that it was just like a something they put out uh, last year, probably like a couple months before Medicine at Midnight came out, but it was uh, times like those – it was just like a 27-minute special that they put on YouTube. Yeah, I do remember that. Yeah, I love it because it's just them talking about their history and looking through a lot of old photos and showing us photos that were so ridiculous. Yeah, that was some of, I think, what I texted you last week or the week before was some stuff from that because I would pause it and take pictures of it because it was just some ridiculous photos. Anyway, so they did that, which was really cool. But they also just, yeah, they were always having fun. They have a ton of special features on their DVDs where you can watch them just goofing off. So to kind of do a little different than just a regular overview of Foo Fighters, we decided to do an episode where we talk about songs that stand out to us because of Taylor's drumming. And so that's what the list is going to be. We're going to go through those. Uh, and then, depending on how long that goes, then I'll probably do current spins towards the end of the episode. I just wanted to kind of do it a little different this time. So 
Andy, you're the guest. Uh, I know my list is slightly longer than yours. So I guess I should start then, shouldn't I? Because I have 15, you have 11. Yeah, or if you want to do two at a time or something, and then I'll do one, and then you do two, and then... Okay. All right. And uh, it's important to know we are not ranking these. These are just arbitrarily um, naming them because that would have been incredibly difficult. And uh, <laughs> as the last caveat, I'll throw to this. Some of these songs aren't even my favorite songs, but it's just like the drumming is so good that I had to throw out some love to it. The first I'm going to put out there is In Your Honor, the title track. Hmm. It is so energetic between the guitars and very intricate drum stuff. Like, it is just so much fun to listen to. It's one of my least favorite of their albums, but just as they rock out the first disc, like, at least six of those ten songs are just, like, in your face, like, so energetic, um, heavy guitar and heavy drums that, like, I can't help but appreciate a lot of those songs for that reason. The melodies might not be as good and the... In comparison to some of their other albums, I might not throw as much love, but just for the sheer artistry and the drumming, it just blows my mind as anytime I listen to the title track of In Your Honor. And so staying on that track, I'll mention also No Way Back from that album. Uh, it's just very energetic and very great drum song. Do either of those make your list? No, um, I do have one from that album that I will talk about later. Okay. Uh, but um, I guess I didn't really go back. And revisit this album, like, really, in the last month or two. Uh, so I can't really tell you when the last time I listened to this album and, um, has been, and I probably should have listened to it. Oh, it's okay. Like, as we've talked about, uh, we, I know Greg has this album extremely high on his food list, but for me, it just did not grab me the same. But I knew drumming-wise it did, so that's why I revisited it a lot. And it was a lot of fun just focusing on that. So also off of this album, just it's a very short track, but Hell, that is a uh, very energetic guitar and drum song. And then the last track from that album I actually give some love to is Free Me. That one's just, once again, very energetic and great rock song. So it was kind of funny when I was going through and like my list was originally very long. Uh, I started trying to narrow it down. I was shocked at how many songs from this album <laughs> made it on my list. Just focusing on songs that Taylor really got to shine on. I couldn't help but give love to that album, the first disc of In Your Honor. Well, then I guess I am going to have to listen to that, probably when we get done here, uh, put that CD in. But speaking of that, though, have you heard that song, like The Sign, um, that's from this album? Because it's on some versions, but not others. I probably have, but right now... um all I'm hearing is Ace of Bases, the sign. Oh, so, um, <laughs> does that sound like a lot of the In Your Honor songs? Like, is it energetic? Yeah, it's like really up tempo, and it's like, like, give me the sign, I'll come for you, and it's like really, like, uh, really I, hard rocking. But for some reason, it said if, if you go on Wikipedia, it was like a iTunes extra bonus track thing, but it's not on iTunes. But then it's on some CD copy I have. Oh, really? Yeah. So I don't know what CD I have that um, would end up having that on there. but Like it was your edition of In Your Honor had it on there? Yeah, it's like the 11th uh, track on there. Oh, wow. Weird. Yeah, I think now that you start talking about it, I think I have heard it. It probably was in that compilation I was talking about with the B-sides. Yeah, because they've even so put out a whole bunch of B-sides on Apple Music, too. They were like individual EP things with like weird numbers. Yeah. That's what throws me off anytime I try to go back to them because there's so many of them and they're numbered so arbitrarily. It's yeah. hard to remember which one I'm going into. I wish they had just, you know, numbered them normal 
and it'd be easier to see what you know remember which one you just listened to last i think um, the numbers are some kind of code for like like an album session because i noticed it's like zero five zero two like 10 or something so that might be like 2010 or like may something 2010 like it probably is i'm just throwing um, that out as an example like i don't remember if that's like a string of the numbers but then there's a whole bunch of extra zeros either at the start or the end like they try to make it look like a drawer too is i think the picture supposed to be like album cover right yeah so like i think they're trying to be like like it's a vault or something yeah, you're right on that. That's probably exactly what some of that stands for. Because I did just pull it up. Did you listen to Saint Cecilia EP at all? This yes, time around? yes, yes, yes. I'm going to get to that. Unless you want me to get to awesome. it now. Okay. Um, do you want me to go to it now, or because I yeah, have that? Okay. I've got two songs from that, and they're actually at the end of my list. And how I actually oh. made this list was I just made a playlist on my phone on my Apple Music because that's the app that I have, and you can make playlists. So then I was listening to Foo Fighters, and I just made a playlist called Foo Fighters Drum Songs. And then anytime I heard one, I, I clicked on it and clicked Add to Playlist. So that's how I made my list uh, nice. for this. Like I didn't actually make it on paper. I just made it like this and then went back and um, scribbled some notes. But I've got two... Songs from the St. Cecilia EP, the song St. Cecilia, and then Sean. Oh, okay. Nice. Yeah, I enjoyed both those. Um, I had not listened to this in probably five years or something like that. It's been a while since I'd heard it. Um, I honestly forgot about it, the way it's organized on Spotify. I just, it's kind of down at the bottom, so I just overlook it. Yeah, because I haven't listened to it in a long time either, because this came out like late 2015, and I probably haven't listened mm-hmm. to it yet in a good like five years, maybe a little after it came out. But I remember at the time I wasn't as into the Sonic Highways album. And then when St. Cecilia, the song was released, like I was like, oh, my God, this totally like hits the spot compared to that album. And uh, mm-hmm. so, yeah, that's why it kind of made my list, too, because it was just a song that just had all the elements of the Foo Fighters that I kind of liked. And then. Sean, it seems like a really dumb kind of silly song, but you were wanting me to mention drum songs, and that's got really distinct drumming. And it sounds a lot like really early Foo Fighters, too. It does. It kind of sounds like uh, kind of a punky Foo Fighters song, but yeah, it does. I like it. Um, yeah, like even the chorus is just like they're shouting the name Sean, and it's like, Sean. Yeah. It's hard to like describe it, you know, unless you um, just listen to the song, but that's pretty much all the chorus is. It's just like Sean and then a bunch of drum beats. One that didn't make my list, but that stood out to me on my most recent listen was actually the closing track, The Never Ending Sigh. That one I thought was really cool. Oh, wow. I actually did read that that was an early song from like, like the color and the shape, I think it was like left over, and then they finally kind of like reworked it. That's really cool. Yeah, I'm I'm totally with you. Uh, Saint Cecilia was so cool because it was free, and it was after that super short Sonic Highways album. That I like some of the stuff on there, but for me, it just doesn't work as an album. It's a great documentary. Like watching it as a documentary series is fun, but just oh, listening yeah. to the album, it just doesn't. I don't know. Like, and, and I understand, like, it was such an ambitious thing and, like, such a time crunch, too, because they were only giving themselves a week that I see, you know, why we ended up with what we did. But, um, yeah, I kind of wish they had done the whole St. Cecilia approach. I guess that's the same thing with me is that with Sonic Highways, not to go too far off topic, but Sonic Highways is like 
it's too tied to that show. Like it's more like I see it as more of just a soundtrack to that show, not as much as like a true Foo Fighters album. Right. Yeah, like it doesn't really stand on its own. You gotta like put it with the show. Mm-hmm. In that context, I guess. Otherwise I respect, yeah, what they were going for and I get, you know, the whole vibe of it, but it doesn't really kinda like it's not one I go back to. Right. Well, I was also kind of bummed out that uh, I liked Congregation, but I kind of felt they were too – Dave was not willing to actually make a true country song. And I'm like, why couldn't you have? Like, why did it still have to be a hard rocking song? Like, I think you could have – I'm not saying make it super twangy, but you could have done, you know, really be brave with it. Yeah. I don't know if that makes any sense or not. Hey, even Metallica did a country song. They actually sound, they've almost done a couple, you know, I know that Mama said, but, uh, Ronnie kind of had a, a country kind of style to it. Yeah. I really Although I see that, that as kind of almost like a, a sea shanty almost, you know, like a little, um, pirate song. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, sorry. I, it's, I always go off topic a lot yeah. too. Um, <laughs> all right. Sorry so cool. That. So I was getting us off topic there. No, dude, I've, first bit of this podcast i was way off topic uh took a long way to get around to just saying that we we're talking about drum songs so it's all good i just enjoy talking about music as you can tell so as we said these aren't numbered in any particular order so i'm going to go with probably my absolute favorite drum performance um from them and that is going to be bridge burning off of wasting light like i adore that song um and i think the drums are just so incredibly heavy from the moment they come into it so much so that like i remember spending a lot of time trying to learn that song uh on my friend's drum set and i had to actually rearrange his drum set because i could not uh, do all the tom work and uh the fast playing and hit the cymbal the way his set was set up so i <laughs> did it all crazy but it, i finally got to where i could do it all except for a little bit of the bass drum work uh, so you need a lead uh, cymbal player for you <laughs> Yeah, or actually, I would need a. I could be the lead cymbalist, and uh, so I could do the bass drum stuff for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if y'all are ever bored, go to YouTube and type in "lead cymbalist." It's just a two-minute clip of Dave playing cymbals and uh, Taylor playing the drums. It was from the Sonic Highways documentary, but it's for an Uber fan. It's very funny. <laughs> a little inside joke there, I guess. Yeah. Do you like Bridge Burning? Yeah. Oh man, I love the album. I could I could talk about that album all day. Yeah, that's the tour I saw them on. Um and I was so excited because they actually did just like the album. They opened with Bridge Burning and went straight into rope, no break. And oh, nice. I was just like, Holy crap, like this is just, you know, my dream. Um so I will say uh rope awesome in my list because it is the most unique single they ever made. Like it is so not like a single to me. It's catchy, but you know, with the Taylor and Dave singing together, it's like, it doesn't sound like a single to me. I don't know. Do you know what I mean with that? Like, do you understand kind of what I'm saying? Like it just, it's yeah, because that was the lead uh, single too from the album too. Yes. And it's kind of got a weird drum groove to it and everything. It's so cool. But like, I remember thinking, this is the single? Like, I love it, but. This doesn't sound like a single because it's not just Dave singing. It, uh, Dave's actually hitting the lows and Taylor's singing higher on it. It's uh, through the entire isn't it through the entire chorus, I think, or the verse. Maybe it's the verse. Yeah. Yeah, the verse. But anyway, so I went ahead and mentioned that one because that one's one of my favorites. But yeah, I just feel like that was like some of the best 
Taylor really getting to get creative and do his own thing. Um, I just remembered some too. That's another off topic thing is like, we did talk about that album. It just um, occurred to me because we did an episode years ago where it was like albums you'd have on a deserted Island. And we both had this one as one of our five. Oh, okay. Nice. Yeah. I did not remember that, but it makes sense. Cause yeah, ever since it came out, it's one I go back to so much. Yeah, man. It's like, um, definitely my favorite Foo Fighters album. I go back and forth between it and there's nothing left to lose because I feel they're the two most front to back, solid, consistent albums of theirs, but they're so incredibly different. But I love them for that. So what's the next song for you? Uh, well, mine is actually from the album. There's nothing left to lose. It was uh, my number one. So it's not number one, as we said, you know, like a favor. It's just chronologically the first one I added and it's breakout. And I nice. really love the, uh, it's just got this kick drum thing, I guess it is, and it's got like this like really strong like rhythm section. It just sounds really swinging. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's a punkier song than a lot of their stuff, but yeah, it is. It stands out so well. It actually made my list because uh, it's just a fun one. Oh, cool. Okay. Um, I wasn't sure if we'd match up exactly or or we wouldn't match up at all. I thought it would just be either or. Yeah, I figured we'd have a few overlap, but I definitely knew we'd have some di- different because I still think with me being a drummer, I just kind of go for some of the most bizarre ones sometimes because <laughs> I just really appreciate funky grooves. Yeah, because that's the thing. I figured like how you specifically said, like, I want drum songs in here. I was like, man, I don't know what comes to mind off the top of my head with Foo Fighters and drum songs. So I'm really going to have to go back. And really, like, do my homework because usually anytime I do a list, whether it's my podcast, your podcast, or I used to do, like, essential song blogs, I would mm-hmm. always write down right away before I, I listen to anything, any songs that came into my head, like a rough draft. And then I'd go back and listen to stuff and, like, scratch stuff off the list or add stuff. And this one, I just kind of built it as I listened to stuff instead because I'm like, I don't know what comes – to mine first so i'm really going to try to do my homework and like pick apart the drums and i don't know all the terminology like you would but um this is just stuff that just kind of was like oh okay this sounds cool so i'm going to uh, add it to that playlist yeah well that works um i was glad you mentioned the playlist thing because i was having trouble finalizing my list and making a playlist was the best way because if i Originally, I was just going through and listening through their albums over and over again and then occasionally writing down song names but like Hearing, you know, an album completely through and picking a few tracks was one way to do it. But then like trying to narrow it down, if I'm listening to just them all together, you know, back to back, you can definitely, I don't know, it's a better way of breaking it down for me or eliminating songs because otherwise I could have had like 25 or more. (laughs) (laughs) So what's your next one? My next one is Monkey Wrench. And I know that I want to say this up front. I know you said we're doing Taylor Hawkins drum performances but this has an asterisk on it because i guess even though it was dave performing on the album this was uh taylor's first uh, music video um with the band oh that's right okay so i was like i'm gonna include it anyways because like this is a song though even though it's a single and i think it might have even been the lead single from that album it's one I forget about a lot. And then Brent had mentioned it a couple of weeks ago, and I was like, yeah, you know what? I always forget about Monkey Wrench. And so 
it was fresh in my head and I'm like, I'm just going to include it on my list anyways, because I was listening to it a bunch and it does have a really cool uh, drum groove to it. Well, and it counts because, I mean, really any of their hit songs that have lasted the test of time. I mean, Taylor has played it plenty of times and yeah. there's plenty of footage of him doing it. And I am sure as time went on that he didn't just play it as Dave did and he probably made it his own out of at least with, you know how they jam out a lot of their songs live? Yeah. Uh, they don't just play them back to back. Like they make it extra. I'm sure Taylor added his own, you know, polish to it. Yeah, because he's Not always pro- doing extra like fills and stuff. Yes. Live, he loves doing extra fills. And, you know, Dave will do like some extra riffing on a lot of songs and sometimes bring in just like a tiny bit from a classic rock song and then go back into it and stuff. So, yeah, Taylor, like, yeah, anyway, it works. So my next one I'll put out, I'm going to go back to There's Nothing Left to Lose, and I'm going to put Generator. Oh, cool. Uh, cool. Generator is just a fun song, kind of has that um, talk box guitar effect, um, but it's just fun cymbal and uh, snare drum work that Tyler's having fun with. And it's just, I don't know, it works for me. It's, it fits the song, and it just sounds, uh, this probably means nothing, but it just sounds fun. Yeah, that album is a really fun one, and I've got a, another one from that album as well. But What do you have? Um, I got Gimme Stitches. Nice, I have that as well. What stands out to you on that one? It's just like the whole thing. It sounds actually like um, the drums drive the song. Mm-hmm. Actually more than the guitar or anything, because it's got that boom, boom, boom. It's like a really echoey thing, and it even starts off that way. Mm-hmm. I got it going through my head right now. Yeah, and it's cool. They also use a shaker on it, which they don't do a whole lot, which was fun. Uh, it was just a different feel to it. Sounds like a classic rock song or something. It does. Yeah, that album, not only just being my first album of theirs I listened to, it's always been fun to me because they sound like they're having fun. And you can tell like it's just a good melodic album. But I remember like watching the documentary and they talk about it like they just they had fun while making it and just kind of goofed off a lot and didn't have any record label interference or anything it was just them hanging out writing songs when they felt like it eating chili and barbecue and stuff like that um and drinking a lot of beer and then they wrote songs when they felt like it pretty much because as dave said (laughs) in the back and forth documentary after losing so many band members within the first couple years of the band he really wanted to cement the um relationships he had with taylor and um and nate um yeah because it would have been the first one that they really would have made as a band right because i can't Mm -hmm. can't remember that documentary like i saw it actually when it came out i saw it in the theater but Mm -hmm. i haven't actually watched it since then oh wow uh (laughs) yeah this i guess probably does prove that they're my favorite band because i've watched it several times and actually dug it out and watched it i think last week it makes sense, and it's cool that they were able to do all this as a three-piece. And it's really cool that they were able to do it with such a laid-back effect and not having a record label really going crazy on them because Dave made his studio in Virginia and recorded it all in that. Um, you really are a Foo Fighters guru. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Uh, just no random stuff. So what's your next one? My next one, even though I almost kind of dogged on the album – uh, Sonic Highways. I added uh, mm-hmm. Beast and the Famine uh, to my nice. uh, drum playlist because, I don't know, it just is a cool rock song. So mm-hmm. It's very energetic, a lot of good rock drum stuff in there. I don't know all of his techniques that he's doing, but it was just cool. Mm-hmm. I was doing some air drums at work, and I was like, all right, <laughs> this, is going on. Like, this is going on there. Yeah, 
did a ton of air drumming this week. <laughs> so uh, my next track is one that I had not thought about in a long time, but it really stood out to me this time on listening through one by one, and that is the song Overdrive. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's just a fun straight-ahead rock song, but it's got some extra drum fills and stuff from Taylor, and just think it's a good song. So uh, did you get that album when it came out? Um, yes. Oh, yeah. CDs? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember uh, I got that, I think, the week it came out. If not, it was very soon after, because I was in college then, and we had a record store in our town during that time, so I could just hop over there and get anything. I remember I was working at uh, Kmart when that came out, and I bought it. I don't remember if I bought it the day that it came out, but I remember getting it like when I worked there, and it was the first Foo Fighters album that I bought You know, when it was brand new, because I guess I was right. waiting on the other ones. Right. Um, you got anything else from that album? Yeah, I have Halo, which is just a lot of good drum fills in it. Um, and it's just a song that I hadn't thought about in a long time. Do you remember that one? Man, it's not really. Halo isn't really ringing a bell, but Overdrive. Yeah, like I had that one running through my head. Okay. I had Halo on there, and then I also, I'll go ahead and say it, I have All My Life on there. Oh, man, I thought you'd say Come Back. Oh, actually, that's on there too. I just <laughs> overlooked it just then. <laughs> so, yeah, I had two more from this album. Um, well, I definitely had come back. I mean, it's kind of like a unique song for them. You know how it's got that kind of extra or different like section in the middle? Mm-hmm. It always stood out to me like different because I was like, this doesn't sound like any other kind of band at the time, like a radio band doing something like that. Yeah. yeah it's such a long groove and everything and it kind of uh, and then it fades out and then comes back in it almost makes me feel like i mean it doesn't sound like one of their songs but it kind of maybe took some inspiration from like the queens of the stone age stuff that dave played uh with them i do yeah. wonder if that influenced it at all and you said all my life too mm-hmm. yeah, it's just such an energetic song it's got a lot of fun snare and cymbal work that has always stood out to me um that would probably be my second favorite album of theirs Oh, nice. Okay. It was my favorite until Wasting Light, and then it's kind of like just a notch behind that one. Mm-hmm. And it's so funny. Um, it's not a bad thing at all, but like the Foo Fighters themselves don't like that album outside of a couple songs from it, but it still had, you know, All My Life and Times Like These, so definitely had two of their biggest songs. Yeah, that was the thing I remember about that documentary, like back and forth, was that they were like... It wasn't only really that they didn't like the album. It was just a bad uh, period for the band, right? So it's kind of mm-hmm. yeah. – Well, yeah, they weren't getting along, and Chris was not feeling the vibe. Like he was just kind of felt like he didn't even need to be there half the time. He's, they all admit to being kind of grumpy during the recording of that. And so like they recorded the album. Then um, <laughs> their manager told them, yeah, you can put this out, but I don't know if it's going to sell. And so then Dave takes off and goes and does the Queens of the Stone Age tour. Then after that, um, he felt kind of re-energized, and they revisited the songs and recorded it in like five days or seven days or something. But it's so funny because like the original version, apparently they spent a million dollars recording and then threw it away. Jeez. And then, <laughs> and then put out an album that they recorded so quickly. You know, I've always wanted to hear the original version. I've only heard, I think, one of the tracks one time they released, not officially, but like a, on YouTube or something, where you could hear like the more polished version. I guess sometimes you just don't overthink it and just, boom, just do it. Mm-hmm. For sure. So what else do you got? I do have one that is a B-side that was from 
around that era of the band and it's walking a line. Nice. Yeah. That one, like, it's not one of my favorite songs, but actually it might be now because I listened to it so much over the last couple of weeks. Just it came on my radar and I'm just like, oh my God, this song's cool. It is. It sounds it's, like one of those kind of punky things like hey, you're saying. It was like, it mm-hmm. sounds like early Foo Fighters or like punky. Right. Yeah. It's, it's a very fun one until you mentioned it, uh, last week or something asking if that counted. I'm like, yeah. Um, I hadn't thought about it in years, but I could immediately hear it. I almost thought it was a cover at first. Mm-hmm. It sounds like it could be. And I was like, oh wait, it's actually their own song. Cool. <laughs> So a random one I was going to mention real quick, it's funny, is one that didn't make my list, but it was funny I read today that it was Taylor's least favorite song they did, and that is The One. Ah! Um, <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> but I have that one um, on my list. Sorry. Oh, is it really? Yeah. Nice. <laughs> Taylor just said he hated that song from the beginning. He thought it was one of their weaker songs, and he thought it was say he felt it was too poppy or whatever but he didn't like it it is a like a dumb song but i think that's why i like it because it's, mm-hmm. it's but he's got like a drum thing to it it's like doom, 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 or something i don't know it's yeah. really bouncy it's very bouncy i like the drums a lot on it yeah i remember like tracking that soundtrack down because i had to have that song so um i don't care that it's taylor's least favorite i i like the song oh man that is funny and I liked the movie at the time. I, I went back and rewatched it a year or two ago, and it did not hold up uh, Orange County. But <laughs> but the music video is fun, and, and it's just a fun song. So that's great that it made your yeah. list. That's cool. Um, well, that's funny, though, because, like, Denny and Brent and all those guys, my friends, like, they would give me so much crap for liking this stuff that most people don't like. They're like, you're always the guy that, like, points out this some stupid song, and then here I am, like, the one that Taylor Hawkins doesn't even like. well and it's uh funny that like that's one of the songs that i liked a lot because growing up in such a conservative like just household and everything i just always loved songs that had profanity in them so that was probably one of the reasons i liked it so much too when it came out uh because it just was so prominently placed in the song (laughs) like it does sound like it would be a love song but then it's like an anti-love song Mm mm-hmm it sounds like, yeah, from the bounciness to it, it sounds like it would be a love song. So it's kind of cool how they kind of flip it. Right. Um, so um, do you have anything else from that era of the band? Or is some of your stuff later or more recent? I think I've actually gone through all of mine except for one, it looks like. Because oh, I did really? multiples at a time. Yeah, because I know I've already talked about Rope, In Your Honor, Halo, Hell, Free Me. Give me stitches because didn't you have that one as well? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Overdrive generator, breakout, bridge burning, no way back, come back. Yeah. So I'm down to my last one, I'll say, and that is The Pretender. Oh, awesome, awesome. Yeah. That did yeah, not make my list, but it's absolutely like one of my favorite Foo Fighters songs. Mm hmm. Yeah. I remember not knowing what their album was going to sound like after In Your Honor, and then for that to be the lead single, it was just, I was like, okay, I'm going to love this album. Yeah, it's just explosive. Mm-hmm. And a really cool not-comedy music video, too. Yeah, because other ones are playing, was... like, dress-up and stuff. Yeah, I do miss those, though. Uh, I think the last one they, outside of Love Dies Young, um, that, that was horrible as a music <laughs> video. Uh, just really creepy. I think Long Road to Ruin was the last comedy one they did. Huh, I don't know if I've ever seen that one. It's shot like a soap opera, and Dave's got feathered hair. 
and he's in the in the music video he's dating Rashida Jones and they're going around all glamorous together. Oh, really? Huh. Yeah. Have to check that one out. Yeah, I mean it's not as good as a lot, a lot of the other comedy ones, but it I appreciate what they were going for. But yeah, the Pretender, such an incredible guitar and rock song, but also just really good drums, really strong drums. So what do you have next? I'm down to my like last two, so I guess uh, we burn through years too fast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, sorry about that, but I guess yeah, not going in order. We're just kind of free flowing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've got one where this is one uh, song where it didn't really interest me as a single or even on the album, but when I saw the band live, the song like you know Taylor's fills and everything, he really brought it alive. But it is. Run from Concrete and Gold. Yes. He really killed it live, and I was like, man, this song is awesome, though. It's got such a weird drum beat. It's very bouncy, but like it is unlike, I think, any of the songs I've ever done. But yeah, he definitely seemed to have fun in that one. Where I didn't see them on this tour, I've seen footage of them playing it live. Oh, wait, wasn't that kind of a comedy one? Because is that the video where they were like the old guys in the retirement home? Oh, you're right. Yes, they were. Yeah, because they have the big beards and the long hair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, and I do have one song left. Sorry, I just... Oh, it's okay. <laughs> it's because I didn't have it the way I had it listed. It like it was part of my lead-in, but anyway. Yeah, but you have to completely forgotten about the music video for Run. Um, So my actual last song is Low off of One by One. And it is another bizarre um song because, like, it just starts out with just a... Sounds like he's doing a drum fill, just have a lot of tom work and a lot of snare. It's not your typical, you know, just your basic rock song. That's You just have a little thing like that for the verses, and then the chorus, you might go crazy. But, like, he's just going crazy on the verses, and it's just so creative and different that I love that he didn't just do another straightforward rock song. They went for something else. Yeah, that song is really cool, and... uh um, I don't know. Like, I think now we've basically had the whole album, right, of um, One by One between. Uh, yeah, minus like the uh, slower ones off of it. Oh, I guess the um, the one lullaby song. And Lonely as You and stuff like yeah. that. Oh, yeah, you're right. Tired of You. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's a good, it's a really good rock album, so it makes sense. Did you ever see the music video for Low? No, I can't recall it. It was too... Racy, I think, to play most of the time in America, but I saw it probably on YouTube or whatever. But it is Dave Grohl and Jack Black dressed up as like with trucker hats and kind of uh, they're at a truck stop, hotel room, whatever, right, right beside the ho- uh, truck stop or something like that. Anyway, and they just start dressing in drag randomly and dancing around the room. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, uh, from some footage I saw, did not get played a lot in America and Dave was joking about it at their storytellers I think it was their storytellers show he's like I thought I looked hot in that video and nobody even got to see it <laughs> <laughs> oh man um, I don't know if I should check that out then or not oh. <laughs> it's weird I remember when it came out I was just like what is going on here I'll just watch the long road to ruin one and call it a day yeah I honestly feel like it was Dave and Jet Black just trying to weird each other out and just kept going. Like oh, that yeah. that's kind of what it feels like. I like trying to top each other. Mm-hmm. Did, oh, speaking of that, did you ever see the 
tour announcement for Waste and Light, like before any of the shows had happened, where they once again went to a truck stop and they danced for like an hour and a half, not an hour and a half, a minute and a half to Body Language by Queen um, oh. in the shower. And then, uh, well, no, it starts with their the truck stop ordering food. And the next thing you know, they're all naked in the shower. But of course, it's artfully showing it. So it doesn't actually show them naked and they're dancing the body language. And then they're dressed back up and they're going out to like the tour bus or whatever. And it's like, waste and light tour. <laughs> it was no, so man. weird. No, man. Yeah. See, you're the Foo Fighter guru. You're pulling <laughs> out all this, all sorts of stuff like uh, X rated videos and tour videos and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was so funny because that was like the first time in years I thought of that Body Language song because that's off my least favorite Queen album because um, that was from, um, what was it? Not Body Heat. What was that album called? Hot Stuff or Hot yeah. Space. Yeah, Hot Space. Yeah, Hot yeah, Space. Yeah, kind of Marilyn Monroe looking. Isn't it kind of like that kind of just uh, images of their face? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or not Marilyn Monroe, Monroe, but I mean the Andy, Andy Warhol. Warhol thing. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that's basically what it is, and it's such a weird pop album that Freddie was just trying to push the limits and like the only hit on it is um one not one vision um what's the one with uh David Bowie on it oh um under pressure under pressure yeah that's the only hit on it and you there sorry yeah. um one that's popping in my head is because you talked about it before it was like back chat back chat <laughs> <laughs> yeah well because I heard a live version was on like newer releases of it and that actually made me like the song all right, so you have one last track, don't you? Yeah, I got one for- last track. And it actually, when I heard this song, I laughed at work. Like, I don't know if anybody saw me laughing just to myself, but I thought of your, like, lead cymbal player thing because mm-hmm. the song is a DOA. And it almost kind of, like, has, like, a really cool kind of, like, ting-ting cymbal part. Mm-hmm. I think that that's during, like, the choruses or something, but then the verses have, like, a really low like thud sound so it goes really low and then it goes like i don't know it just has like a cool variety and um drum mm-hmm. sounds nice yeah i don't know why that didn't that on mine i had a lot of that album but somehow it didn't get doa it's one i kind of forgot about because like i don't know if it gets much airplay anymore obviously like you know best of you gets like the big airplay from that album but mm-hmm. i don't even know if doa gets played live that much anymore either Probably not. I don't think really anything from that album gets played except for um, Best of You, which will unfortunately be played at every show to the, well, every show they did after that came out. I don't know. Do you like Best of You? Um, I did. I really liked it, but now I'm kind of like tired of it. Yeah, I got so tired of it. Yeah. Um, it is cool how they rock it out sometimes, though. When I saw them, he did it acoustic. Um, and I think they came in to jam just a little bit, but the version I prefer of it, if I'm, if I have to listen to it is the version when I think it's the one from their Wembley show and they really jam it out. Yeah. I think it's like eight minutes long or something because they just go crazy with it. Yeah. Cause that's one that seems to get played on the radio and I worked at like active rock station for so long. So it's like I would buy the albums too and then I would hear them at work and then so. Uh, for a long stretch of time, I really didn't listen to any of the singles. I would just listen to the album cuts because I'm, like, hearing everything else at work. Right. Oh, I, I get that. I, for a long time, back when I was still burning CDs, I was, um, back before I was using Spotify and everything to make playlists, but I would uh, just make deep cut CDs 
uh, was something I just enjoyed doing because it's so easy to get distracted by just the singles when you're listening to an album all the way through. So a lot of times you'll just forget about, I mean, just people in general will forget about. And honestly, your average music fan just wants the singles anyway. But, you know, people like us, we just, we love for the albums as a whole, if they're good. Yeah, that was something you should remind me of too, with like the album, uh, the bomb on it or whatever, the Echo mm-hmm. Sounds, Patience and Grace. Because uh, that one started with The Pretender, and that song just kicked my butt so much when it came out, and I was looking forward to the album, and then I burnt myself out on that album, and I was like, I bet the first four songs are going to be all like singles. And then they were, but then by the time that they were getting released to radio, I was already burnt out on that album because I'd played it so much. Right. And I just put it away mm-hmm. for so long that like I didn't actually rediscover or actually listen to that album until about maybe two years ago or so. Off of that album, I love The Pretender and Let It Die. And But what I really, really like now is kind of the back half of it. Yeah. Just the more mellow, mellow stuff. I felt like were better realized acoustic songs or mixing the acoustic and rock together. Like Home, I think, is one of the most beautiful songs they ever wrote. Yeah, it's kind of like a better, or maybe not better, but a more condensed version of In Your Honor. Like, you know, they mm-hmm. shrunk it down to one album instead of two. And right. I think it came out better, or it came across better. Well, I, Do you like this song? Oh, for sure. I definitely agree it does. Do you remember the song Stranger Things Have Happened off of that album? Yeah. That is one of my all-time favorite songs of theirs that obviously doesn't belong on a Taylor Hawkins list because he plays no drums on it. It's just a metronome um, going on in the background of the song. It's just Dave on acoustic and singing, but it's so bluesy. It's so good. I really would love to see them play that live. Yeah, and I like Summer's End and then that uh, Cheer Up Boys. Mm-hmm. Whatever, like your makeup's running or whatever the title was, but it's just it's just like a good kind of catchy, upbeat uh, song too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that title makes me think of like Panic at the Disco or something. Yeah. Um, their titles. <laughs> but yeah, I, I don't know how fun it was to listen to us mention songs about drumming, but I just wanted to do something different. And Taylor Hawkins will be so missed. And it's uh, one of those things like I had to finally distance myself from. But for a while there, I was like looking up every news story every day trying to figure it out. But I still hate how it was announced about the toxicology, but it wasn't like details of the toxicology that just made it seem like he was partying and everything I've read, like he had bad anxiety. So to really, I honestly think he was just probably just trying to get over some chronic pain issues. I think he has probably from playing drums. Cause if you look at people playing a drum set and him in particular, he's hunched over like for three hours a night. Um, it's not good for your back. It's just so tragic. And I, I feel so much for the boys of the band, especially Dave. Like I just, they have to really be struggling. Yeah, man. It's like we said earlier, losing like your brother. Mm-hmm. Oh, totally. Like losing your brother. Like it's just, they were so incredibly close. Like I, I just can't imagine it. I mean, I think all the guys love Taylor, but obviously Dave definitely did. Oh man. Um, there was even something that um, I saw or read, or I can't remember if it was you that told me. But there was a story I came across somehow recently where they said like Taylor and like Dave would go into like guitar centers and like incognito and start like jamming with kids. And then they'd end up buying like equipment for kids or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that sounds cool. It's like they were kind of just kind of secretly kind of um, doing it to have fun, but then they're kind of giving back or like, you know, 
like, here's the next generation of musicians, so we're going to kind of help them. Exactly. Yeah, I read um, something along that line where one of the guys that worked at the Guitar Center thought somebody was like without permission buying stuff on Taylor's account because it was just like thousands of dollars worth of equipment that had been bought on it, and Taylor was never walking out with much. Yeah, that's um, what it was. And, yeah, and then they found out, no, that was just Taylor would meet kids, and I think he just knew they couldn't afford a drum set but wanted one, so he'd just get it for them. And that's just so cool. And especially, I think it was like on the, there's nothing left to lose. So this is like before the big money for Taylor, at least. Like that would have been, he couldn't have made tons to the band yet. Oh, yeah. And you being a Foo Fighters guru, okay. Um, there's something that like this reminds me of talking about them with kids and stuff. That like Concrete and Gold tour, it seemed like every single tour date, they were bringing somebody up on stage with them, but they almost seemed rehearsed. But I think they were impromptu, right? Where they're just picking people out of the crowds, right? I guess. I'm not 100% sure on that. Because there was one that was the kiss guy or whatever that had the Jesus yeah. speak up. And he's like playing with them. And then there was something where um, I saw him in uh, Champaign, Illinois, with a group of guys I worked with, like my friend Nick and uh, Joe and uh, Tyler. And so we all kind of drove down uh, to Champaign and saw him there. And uh, a guy that got pulled on stage, I think they're just like, hey, like, does anybody know any Rush? And uh, they're like, you really got to know all the lyrics, right? You got to know all the lyrics. So they pulled this guy up to sing like Tom Sawyer, and he, like, did pretty, pretty well. He stumbled a little bit, but he did better than I think most people um, would do. Mm -hmm. I couldn't tell if that was rehearsed or not because the guy's almost, like, dancing around. Like, he's trying to pump up the crowd and, like, wave his arms. Right. And I couldn't tell if that was planned or not, but I think they were all impromptu. Yeah. Um, I didn't get to see them on that tour, and I guess I've watched less from that tour. I know the Waste and Light, I've watched pretty much any footage from it I could find on YouTube because they, they did the garage shows for a while there, and that was a lot of fun to see those. Oh, yeah, that's right, because they had those winners, and they were going to like their house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, anyway, our um, Foo Fighters episode, our love going out to Taylor Hawkins and just the band in general. So we did the episode backwards because that was my random choice. Um, but let's let's close out with some current spins. What's something that you've been listening to lately, Andy, that you've been enjoying? Oh, man, usually usually I try to keep it short because uh, it's not it's not my show. So I don't want to have like, you know, eight things I'm listening to and like really take, <laughs> over, take over the conversation here. But uh, I got a few current spins this time because – there were a few albums like released uh, within the last week or two. And so one big thing that's been in my rotation was the new uh, Jazz Sabbath album. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man, I love it. I don't know if anybody else that's listening or like, well, you said yes, so you've like, heard it. But um, if you are familiar with it or not, it's like jazz versions of Black Sabbath songs. Like from the Aussie era, and the first album was pretty straightforward. It was a jazz trio, and then this one seems like they added in some extra horns and stuff. Like there's a really long mm-hmm. version of Paranoid that almost sounds really waltzy or something with like some trombones and stuff. I don't know. Like they went kind of all out on this one. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I've spent less time with this one um, so far, but I did like what I heard from it uh, this past week. I listened to it all the way through. 
that first one ever since you interviewed Adam on your show. Um, Adam Wakefield, isn't it? Um, Wakeman. Yeah, I listened to that first one a lot. Yeah, that thing was like, I think that first one came out like right when the pandemic hit or like early 2022. And I kind of found out about it a little bit later in the year, but it's been steadily in my rotation uh, since then. Right. So, yeah, like, I don't know. I'm like tooting their horn or something. <laughs> it's it's great music. I love how reimagined these songs are. Um, And it's so cool with Niven doing vocals, just doing just jammed out jazz versions of this. But like the whole band is so talented. Like I've always appreciated jazz drumming. I could only do the very basic, um, the generic when you think of jazz kind of drumming. But I always appreciate musicians that can play that way because it's it's a style of its own yeah uh so what's your current spin for one well going down my taylor hawkins thing i found out about a band that he had that didn't even know about and that is nhc it's dave navarro taylor hawkins and is it chris i think cheney it's so full circle cheney he played uh bass and alanis morissette's band and so dave not Dave. Taylor knew him from that, but he actually is the current bassist for James Addiction. Addiction. Yeah. Yeah. And so he knew him through Navarro and everything. But yeah, they did um, some stuff. One that really stands out to me from it is a song called Fearless. It is just really good. Huh. So is uh, Taylor singing on that? Yeah. Taylor does most of the singing. There's one that's like a duet, but yeah, it's Taylor singing most of it. I'll have to check that out. Yeah. So it's NHC, like the letters? Yeah, just the letters, NHC. And they put out a couple EPs. It's Navarro. Well, one's just called the Navarro Hawkins Cheney two-song thing. It's got two songs on there. Then they had the Devil You Know and Lazy Eyes. And then the beginning of this year, and that was late 2021, they put out four other songs. It's called Intakes and Outtakes. But I thought Fearless is on it, and I thought that was the best one they put out. Um, but, yeah. Completely went under the radar. What it says here on Spotify is apparently uh, something they worked on during the lockdown, which makes perfect sense. Oh, cool. So it is really, really new then. Yeah. yeah. So at the height of the 2020 lockdown, three lifelong friends found themselves with newfound free time and turned it into this. But yeah, it's really cool. It's so different than Taylor and the Co- uh, Hawkins and the Coattail Riders and definitely different than his other one, Birds of Satan, which was really <laughs> bizarre. Um <laughs> But, uh, yeah, it was something I had no clue about, I found out, just on Spotify. And so that was something I wanted to throw a little love to. Uh, what else do you have, Andy? There's another one that came out last Friday. Uh, it's a group called Dorothy. And the singer, her name's Dorothy. It's like a rock album, like straightforward rock album, kind of like Hailstorm, you know, with female-fronted band. Mm-hmm. But then I started just like yesterday. I noticed they had an album uh, prior to that. And it's like a completely different sounding album. It sounds more bluesy rock. And my girlfriend was with me and she said she actually liked that like more than the new one. And I was like, yeah, that's why I played it when you came over because I thought you'd like it. Nice. Sometimes I annoy her with my taste in music because like I'm like so deep into what I'm doing on the podcast too that I'm kind of almost feel like I'm annoying her playing over and over and over what I'm going to talk about. So I was just like, well, here's something you might like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nice. But yeah, like, I think you might like Dorothy. Yeah, I just screenshot it on Spotify, so I'll listen to it later. Because I saw where you mentioned it somewhere, I think, online, but I didn't make around to listening to it. 
I think uh, this album or the album, um, the new one that just came out, she worked with like a bunch of current rock uh, producers and stuff. So that's maybe why it has more of a modern uh, rock uh, radio sound compared to the other one. Mm-hmm. That's cool. So a new album I'm excited for, I don't know when it comes out, but they put out one song from it so far, is um, the band Grey Days, like you're in a daze, D-A-Z-E. Um, it was actually a band that Taylor was with, as Taylor was with, man, my mind is crazy, Chester Bennington was with before Lincoln Park, and he had gotten back together with them the year before he died and had recorded a bunch of new stuff with them. And so they put in an album in 2020 using his uh, vocals and apparently there's some left over that they had not used yet and that they got some other vocals I think from like one of Chester's kids on the new one but I'm eager to hear it because it's just interesting to hear Chester's vocals on something different you know something that's not Linkin Park or Stone to a Pilots yeah Chester's vocals are just so good and it's just cool to hear it in something different so yeah the album that came out in 2020, it was called Amends. I actually prefer the Amends stripped down uh, EP that came afterwards. It worked really well for several of the songs. But the new one, the song is called Saturation slash Strange Love. And that one's pretty good. Hmm. Yeah, like, uh, yeah. that's he's another musician that, like, his death really impacted me because mm-hmm. it was like probably the same with you like i remember we were talking about before but it's like lincoln park was one of those bands where when i was getting into music they were new so they weren't really like my band and i was never they were never really like my favorite band but it was one band where i was there for each album that came out and listened to it and i saw the uh, progress of the band whereas like on other bands we talk about like metallica and stuff um they existed before i got into music and lincoln park was something that was current so it kind of right. hit, hit me a little bit harder. I remember when I first heard Hybrid Theory, I just thought it was the coolest thing ever and immediately went out and bought it. Um, I think it had been out for a while at the time. But yeah, because I heard about it because of the little Nikki soundtrack. And <laughs> uh, so I listened to one of the songs on there and then I think it was Points of Authority on there. And then I went out and bought the album. But I've always loved a lot of Linkin Park stuff. And yeah, that, that death hit me hard too. Anytime it's a suicide, it's going to hit a little harder, I think. But yeah, that one, that's when I was kind of realized I miss Chester more than I realized. Yeah. Ooh, I got a little chill there. Yeah. So I know I was super excited for the new Red Hot Chili Peppers album, but I'm hoping it's one that will grow on me with time. Outside of a couple songs, it just hasn't really hit with me the way a lot of their other stuff has. Um. Yeah, I actually haven't even listened to that other than, uh, what is it, the Black Summer song, which was kind of... Mm-hmm. Like- I thought the music was good, but I can't get around his uh, vocals on that. <laughs> it's it's a bizarre album, but it's long, like most of their albums, 17 tracks long. So hopefully with time, I'll dig it more. has one of the most bizarre titled tracks, Aquatic Mouth Dance. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Aquatic Mouth Dance. Yep. Huh. <laughs> I don't even want to guess what that means. Yeah, uh, it's, it's, just move on. I just named it because it's bizarre. Um, <laughs> so other than that, I went back through Korn's uh, album Requiem uh, the past few days and really have been enjoying it. Yeah, I and really it's liked like, Let the Dark Do the Rest. That's, pretty good. Mm-hmm. That's a very good one. I also really like Start the Healing and Lost in the Grandeur. 
it's so funny why I thought about that. Remember this album to go back and listen to it was because my friend sent me a little, I guess it was a TikTok video that Korn had shot. Um, yeah. It was them singing a Backstreet Boys song. Yeah, I saw that too. It was like, I saw it on Instagram. There was a picture of them with their, like, they were doing like a Backstreet Boys pose or they had their faces superimposed on that. Mm hmm. And then it said Lincoln Story. So I clicked on it and yeah, it went to the TikTok thing and they're like singing. Boy, and they're in like wide outfits and everything. Like Backstreet Boys were on that one album and it's just not what you think of, but they were having fun, goofing off. And it's just not at all something you would ever expect the guys from Corn to be yeah. <laughs> dancing around singing. So then I'm like, oh, let's listen to the new album. So that kind of how that went down. Yeah, it's kind so of anything, funny how you go down that rabbit hole or something. Yeah, it's connected it's, to stuff. Mm hmm. Anything else for you with current spins? Um, I've really been digging a lot of King's X lately. They were never really on my radar until late last year, and I've been going through all their albums. Nice. I keep meaning to listen to them, but I haven't yet. It's hard because there's so much like new stuff that's coming out that we're talking about, and then you got to try to find time for the old stuff or there's stuff you're listening to for a podcast. It's like, man, there's not enough hours in the day to listen to all the music I want to. Right, or like this Friday, I started watching the final episodes of Ozark, the show on Netflix, and there was this really cool Nas song uh, that she was listening to, and I was like, oh, now I'm going to go through a hip-hop little um, phase that day, so I listened to that song. It was uh, called New York State of Mind, and it's really good, but so yeah, with me, sometimes it's just like movies or TV shows will put me on little rabbit holes I'll go on just because I'm like, that's really catchy. What is that? Oh, yeah. I uh, had something else, too. I saw that um, Liv Warfield, uh, the singer here in town last week, and she mm-hmm. did a really awesome cover of a Phil Collins song that I had completely forgotten about, and it was that um, Another Day in Paradise. So basically, all last Sunday, I listened to that Phil Collins song on repeat. I couldn't find a version uh, that she did, but I was like, I was so hooked on that song, like maybe the next like two days after that. And then kind of listen to some other Phil Collins songs too. So I don't know if that's like a current spin or another mm-hmm. Andy's rabbit hole. <laughs> that's cool. Yeah, I um I really dug that episode with her, but I haven't gone down and listened to any of her stuff yet. I meant to, but as we've talked several times on this, I just get distracted. Oh yeah, for sure. Like I'm the same way as you. Either in so deep into something or like not at all. I feel like, yeah, like I'm kind of like up and down. Yeah, I'll log into Spotify and I'll, it'll recommend some stuff to me. And sometimes I'll just listen to that. Um, or yeah, I'll be prepping for a podcast or whatever. And so yeah, I'll just overlook everything else. So I guess to not continue for needless reasons, let's, uh, I'll wrap up. Uh, if you want to reach out, give me any topic ideas or tell me your favorite Foo Fighters song or Taylor Hawkins drumming songs, uh, let me know. You can reach me on Instagram, sundaygroove.com. L-I-L-L-O. So it's sundaygroove.lilo. I'm the most active on there. And then occasionally I tweet, but I definitely check my tweets. So if you want to contact me there, I'm at Sunday underscore groove underscore. I love any kind of interactions. If you tell me about songs or have comments, I'll definitely listen to it. And if you tell me about good music, I'll probably check it out because I love new ideas for new episodes and stuff. So that's a good way to reach out. Um, how do, how can they reach you, Andy? I'm pretty active on Instagram, I guess, at Fist and Guitars. And then I've got uh, my own podcast I do with Brent Stortzum. It's A-Sides. 
and we're at A Sides Podcast, and uh, we've got some new episodes in the work uh, coming out as well. Nice. Well, everybody, thank you for listening. Andy, thank you for joining me on this episode, and I will catch you all down the road. Uh-huh.